Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that came out this week. Kicking it off with Black Cat, King in Black, number one. I wish that rhymed, but it didn't. Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by C.F. Villa. This is, of course, tying into the King in Black event, but it's also bringing back the Black Cat title that I know Justin liked ever so much. This one, uh, Felicia Hardy, is dealing not only with Null, the king of the symbiotes, uh, but she's about to pull off a heist of her own. What do you think about this issue, Justin? I think this is a great issue. Um, I love this Black Cat series. Uh, I think Jed McKay has a really great understanding of the character. Um, he, uh, the way that she speaks, and we're in her head for a lot of the the earlier series. You love and being in the characters' heads. I love. Cool. Isn't that what we the dream? God, if I could be in uh, the head of Pete LePage and Alex Albin oh, on a daily basis, that's delightful. No, what no a dream. way. Uh, uh, that would not be good for you. I spent a couple weeks in Pete's head. It was, I don't know what happened. I was if there was a lightning wow. strike. Um, yep, it was uh, just as you'd expect. Um, well, it was like a what women want situation, but just with Pete. <laughs> I finally know what Pete wants, and yeah. it begins and ends with a meatball sub from the subway. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the, this issue really great. Are um, some fun stuff. Uh, her and her team steal the Spider Mobile um, and get to drive that. Yeah, around the Spider Mobile was fun bit. I loved seeing that. And this crosses into King in Black in such a fun, uh, great way. It feels important and real. And the reveal or the sort of mission at the end of the first issue is super fun. I got to say, like, you know, this is a great example of tie-ins done right. Like, you know, we've been reading a bunch of kind of tie-ins to this. And it's like, wait, what? Is that really a tie-in? This is done really well. It fits. It makes sense. It's really cool for the character. It gets you excited about the event. I I was really impressed with this book. Well, it's also a really good in on the Black Cat book, because clearly a lot of stuff has gone on there, which, frankly, I have not been reading. Um, I think we only talked about one issue, maybe at one point on the stack or the live show. Uh, But... This uh, fills you in on everything you need to do very ably. You're able to jump in on her supporting cast and understand what's going on with them, as well as their previous adventures over the course of this book. I agree. Really fun stuff. I was very surprised how much I like this, uh, and I'll definitely be reading more. I also, I just want to say the art is absolutely fantastic. Yes, thank you. Thank you guys for getting on board with this. You've really made my 2020 a perfect year. 
<laughs> uh, even better than 2020, though, is going to be Blade Runner 2029, number one, from Titan oh. Comics, written by Mike Johnson, art wow. by Andre Guinaldo. Uh, this is, of course, team That's why you get paid the big bucks, Al. Thanks, man. I do get so much money off of the show. Uh this is clearly taking place in the very near future uh, in the Blade Runner universe. Um, you make it sound like it's real. It's You're like this uh, is I'll our be, future. I'll be upfront and honest about something. Ooh. I've never seen Blade Runner. I've also oh, never seen Blade what? Runner. None of the movies. Never. I uh, I know what's going on because I live in the world, and you can't avoid understand what's going on. Blade Runner, so it wasn't a big surprise. Um, so I actually like this, despite not having ever seen those movies. I thought it was a pretty solid story of tracking down replicants. The main um, character was interesting. Uh, so, sorry, the conflict Alex. was interesting. I'm I like this Alex. quite a bit. And I know, hold on. Mike Johnson is a good writer of tie-ins, so clearly mm. he knows what he's doing here, and I think that works. Alex. Yes, Pete. Uh, because you've never seen any of the movies, no one gives a fuck what you have to say about this wow. comic now. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you haven't, if you don't know the material, shut no, the fuck I up know. about it. I it is the ice skating competition movie. <laughs> yes. Where they a, have to do the You're talking about the cutting edge? Thing. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, the that's edge, very similar. Well, surely you've that. seen the, the director's cut of Blade Runner then. <laughs> no, I've seen the director's cut of. You just haven't edge. seen the theatrical release. Tulpic. They call it the director's cut. Dig Edge is what they call it. Oh, yeah. oh wow! Yeah, the I've director's seen, cut. I've also seen Cutting Edge twenty forty nine. It keeps getting better every time you see it. It's crazy. They're replicants. They're all replicants. Um, I have seen the Blade Runner films. Um, and thank you. Now what, I want to know what you think of this. Well, yeah, we shouldn't be allowed to comment on something if we haven't seen the seen the underlying material. Hold on to that thought for anything else we're talking about this year. <laughs> uh, so um, I uh, <laughs> I thought um, I thought this is really good, and I agree with Alex. You don't actually really need to know a ton about Blade Runner. Except for Harrison Ford's um, uh, theological underpinnings to his character when you're watching yes. the, uh, the, dra- Thank the director's Thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. I have seen Firewall. Does that help? Nope. Uh, yes. If you've seen Air Force One, you've seen Blade Runner. <laughs> My man. <laughs> My man. But the, uh, the art of this book is really... If you've seen Regarding Henry, then you have seen Blade Regarding Regarding Henry, I think that movie was fine. I look forward to the comic book adaptation. Uh, this book was good. Um, it's a good story. The art is great. It's very, uh, I love the tone of the art they have here. Yeah, I really agree. I love the tone that the art sets up. It does a great job of really fitting into the world. Um, I, yeah, I was really impressed with this book. It really has a great pace to it. A lot of awesome action, uh, some really fun moments uh, where the replicate kind of like gets their haircut and stuff like that. I would, I, I thought the the whole wall thing was really impressive. I was really thought this was a great, great comic. Uh, I even though I've seen the Blade Runners and like them, this comic was kind of flex. above and beyond that. Classic flex. The art yeah. is almost Mobius like. I really mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very good stuff. Uh, easy to get into, even if you haven't watched the stuff. Let's move on to another one and talk about The Expanse. Number one from Boom Studios, written by Karina yes. Becco, illustrated by Alejandro Aragon. Now, I got to say, this is another one. I've seen the first season and change <laughs> of The Expanse. 
Uh, and of course, I've seen The Expanse 2049. Um, but I'll tell you, without slamming it too much, this felt like the complete opposite of Blade Runner 2029 to me, where I had wow. no idea what was going on for most of this book. And it felt like you had to have watched the show to understand the characters, to understand the settings. And that was a real bummer to me because I enjoyed the first season. I would be happy to pick up an Expanse comic book, see more of this world. But I don't want to have to have watched every episode of the show to necessarily get into it. Did you guys feel the same way? I've never seen The Expanse, but I understood every aspect of this comic book. Um, I've seen every episode of The Expanse. I have read the Bubblegum comic book series that uh, Joe Blow did for a little while. I've read fan fiction. I am very uh, well-educated in this, and I thought it was spot... No, I haven't read any of it in Serena. It's funny that you did. I was pretty sure you were lying, but the fact that you didn't mention the novels that it's based on. (laughs) (laughs) With bubblegum first. Joe Blow. Um, Um, But uh, given that we don't necessarily have a familiarity with the expanse, how do you feel this worked as a comic book? No, I mean, I agree with you. This is definitely for fans. Like it is uh, so rooted in, you have to know, I, I think you have to fully know what the characters when you come into this book, there's not even a, a preamble to get us into the world and what's happening. And I think that's yeah. fine. Um, I think that's fine. It's definitely just not a book for someone who's never read read or watched the show. Yeah, it's tough if you're just kind of like at a comic book shop or, you know, buy it however you do because you like Boom Studios because they do great books. It's definitely a deep cut. I was definitely lost for a little bit, but uh, kind of getting an idea of what's happening. And by the end of it, it won me over. Art, I thought, was fantastic. Uh, a lot of talking, but uh, I, I'm kind of into it. I, I liked how it ended. Yeah. Now, and, and this ties into the X-Men? Yes. <laughs> it does. X- it's a direct spinoff of X-Men Dark Phoenix, everybody's favorite X-Men movie. Uh, next one to talk about Lock and Key in Pale Battalions Go, number three from IDW, written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez. Of course, this is a series that we're all in on, uh, but this is wrapping up the <laughs> miniseries before the miniseries, which is kind of a fascinating thing that they've been doing. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be the Sandman crossover, uh, which we're about to get into, called Hell and Gone. That's going to be, I believe, two issues long at this point. Um, but then, very slowly, they expanded outwards the amount of issues they were doing for this prequel that leads directly into it. After this issue, and I think after the last issue, we kind of know what the setup is going to be for the Sandman Lock and Key crossover. But this is still wrapping up this three-issue miniseries, the story of what happens when one of the old-timey Lock family members goes to war in World War I, comes back, brings some German soldiers back with him. Things go very, very badly. And in this issue, uh, Key House fights back in incredibly graphic and bloody ways. Uh, Pete... There were attack teddy bears on this issue. You have got to have loved this. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love that whole teddy bear scene. Uh, This was just classic lock and key. Amazing storytelling. The art going above and beyond in all the greatest ways. There's like a moment where she's shutting the door, but like it's like disappearing. It's just Gabriel Rodriguez is a goddamn legend. The moment where it was like, welcome to Key House, motherfucker. It was just. Uh, this comic 
continues to be amazeballs. Every time these two team up is just absolute magic. It's just gross and fun and over the top in all the great ways. Uh, yeah, I don't get tired of watching German soldiers die. And there's a fun little, like, uh, kind of ad in the back uh, where it's uh, Kinsey's Comic Corner. Fantastic. Um, this was so upsetting um, mm-hmm. as a story, like just so well done and heartbreaking. Um, and it, especially the fact that this is connected to, it's the same family uh, from the Among the Stars uh, story from uh, back in the day. Um, the one where Wait, they are un- over the moon, unlock the moon, uh, sorry, unlock the moon, yeah. unlock the moon among the stars is what's written on his grave. Um, is just like, it's just so tough, but the art in this book is so good. It's just so intense and just just dread throughout. Like we we talked about this a lot with Lock and Key, like the way that they're able to sort of have this low level hum of of great narrative stress as you're reading this because you feel oh for the God. characters and you know bad things are happening is so good. Something I noticed while reading this, and I don't know if the, this has been featured in any other uh, thing or if it's a maybe something that could happen in the future. In the, the they feature the graveyard. Um, a couple mm-hmm. times in this book. Yeah. And um, one of the characters, Fiona Locke, um, there's a little keyhole in her gravestone. Mm. Do you feel like that's a, maybe there's something to be done there? Yeah, potentially. I mean, maybe it's like a zombie key or something like that, or yeah. a bring back the dead key. I mean, certainly, I think we could delve into spoilers here, but certainly the goal seems to be the current lock patriarch in this continuity potentially heading down to hell to try to rescue his wife or something like that. Yeah, maybe um, that's the that's the doorway. He opens the door and goes goes down a pair of steps, a set of steps, sort of Legend of Zelda style. One yeah. other thing I want to say real quick: the character it's is dangerous named, to go alone. Is what I have to say about that. <laughs> you are the guy that hands him the wooden sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the character, one of the main characters here, the guy, the kid that goes to war, is named Jonathan Tyler Locke. Jonathan Tyler is my brother's name. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, when I saw that in the grave, I was like, yo. Oh, man. You should send him a screenshot, man. You know what I mean? Just yeah. be like, thinking of you, bro. Hope you're good. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's great is that like, you could cut it off because it says Jonathan Tyler and then it says lock underneath. Mm-hmm. So you could totally do a little cut in there and just make it make it nice. Yeah, that'd be great. Do it. Really fuck with your brother. Uh, yeah. I, to, yeah. to the point you were saying, though, Justin, I really liked that this story was in a very different mode than the Lock and T.E. title that we knew. It felt like it tones its own story with its own tone. It's a tragedy as opposed to the other one, which is like a horror adventure story. And that's yeah. great. I'm really excited to see what they do with Helen Gone. But the more different types of stories they can tell in this world, I think overall, the better for its longevity, particularly as we know there is more coming Let's move on and talk about Commander in Commanders in Crisis number three from Image Comics, written by Steve Orlando, art by David Tinto. Uh, so empathy is dead, or is empathy? Because empathy has come back to life, and the commanders are trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, I think we were pretty high on the first two issues of this book. Do you think it continues to hold up here on the third? Yeah, I mean, I... I Steve Orlando is having a lot of fun with this. This is really 
uh, uh, cool the way it's written and the way the characters are. I love the voices and the different stuff. It kind of starts off really grody and kind of crazy in the beginning. Uh, but yeah, it get, gets a little emotional, but then kind of right back into the kind of humor and action. I was uh, impressed with how this ends. It does a great job of giving us a little bit of uh, getting excited for the next issue at the end of each comic. I, yeah, I continue to be impressed with this team and the different voices and stuff on it. This is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. Steve Orlando is such a uh, an idea generator. You can see in all of his work, he's, his stories are super complex, calling on so much continuity. And I feel like with this, he sort of put it all, all of his uh, just wild ideas in full throttle going forward. He's creating all, he's created all these characters, and he has them just driving through all these different ideas. There's the multiverse. There's uh, superheroes just fighting on the ground. We, we have the, the villain here is uh, the social callers. It's uh, some sort of uh, social media slash cell phone, uh, like tech vampire or tech zombification situation. And like, it's just fun. It's a lot of new ideas all the time. Yeah. Uh, from new ideas to old ideas, let's talk about Rorschach number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes. Uh, in this issue, we find out more about the cowboy character that we've met in the first two, who was actually assassinated in the first issue of the book. We go back in time, find out about her backstory uh, as the main detective investigates further what was going on with her in this new old Rorschach. Um, I really like this issue quite a bit, not just in terms of fleshing out Tom King's take on the world, but also how the story purposefully unfolded confusingly in terms of the timeline at first, but became clearer as it went on. Um, I still don't know how this connects to the main narrative or exactly what our overall dramatic thrust is here necessarily, but as a one-shot, one-off issue, I thought this was very well done. Yeah, I agree. I'm really impressed with how crazy this is, but how this issue we're getting like specific information uh, about this main character that we're dealing with in this issue. And it's, it's really impressive. Uh, There's just so much going on, but it's done such in such a kind of cool way that keeps the story moving in such a creepy, but good way. Uh, Art and pace is phenomenal. Uh, This, I, this continues to be a very interesting, cool book. Uh, but it brings up this interesting point, and I'm interested to get your guys' take on this. Like, sometimes to love your father, you have to shoot him in the head. Like, how do you guys feel about that? As fathers? Yeah, yeah. as fathers. Yeah. I, with, with daughters. I have my kids sleep with a gun every night. And Smart. every Smart. night I go to bed praying that they'll shoot me in the morning. And <laughs> so far it hasn't happened. <laughs> Wow. I, I just run right into the rooms and go, abra, abra, abra. <laughs> but then they say, good morning, daddy. Oh man. Disappointments. Both of them. <laughs> wow. Uh, what a, uh, startling vision of Alex's home life. Um, I, uh, I agree. Same this... thing for you, Justin. What's that? Same for you. Um, your daughters. Yeah, yeah. No, I am always waving a gun around the house. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to get the. I don't need to tell them quite as hard as Alex does. I want them to come to it on their own, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I like this a lot. This, it, It's funny, the last, this issue and the one before felt like a standalone issue with just uh, lightly touching the events of the first issue. Agree. Um, 
And I think, I mean, this Tom King does this a lot where you only realize the story he's telling a little bit into it. And I think, uh, I think it, it often works. I think it's working here. Um, it's interesting that the, the characters we're learning about here are sort of conspiracy theorists. They believe that the squids uh, affect your brain. And I wonder if that's, is, if Rorschach is going to believe that as well. Because yeah. it makes these characters uh, maybe probably delusional. If it's a comment, if he's commenting on believing in conspiracy theories, it feels like these characters are not uh, understanding reality. So, it, which Rorschach's whole thing was believing these outlandish things, but this one happened to be true in yeah. The Watchmen. So, to have Rorschach believe something that isn't true is an interesting take. I'm I'm very curious. Um, it makes him less of a hero's less of a, a character you can get behind if he's totally on, on this crazy path. So I don't know. It's just like a lot of Tom King stuff. It's really interesting to see where it's going. Agreed. Next up, decorum number six from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Mike Huddleston. Uh, we're finally bringing it together this issue, which yes. is wild that we're doing it in issue six. But we have this courier character who's been training to be an assassin. Uh, at the same time, these weird crystalline beings have been doing something. Who even knows what? Uh, but in this issue, they finally come down and hire the assassins and say, hey, can you find this egg for us? And then we kind of avoid that in the back half of the issue, but it's still... No, they're, they're prepping for their egg mission. Sure, they're prepping for their egg mission. Um, there are points, particularly on the assassin side of things, that are so funny and so fun. Yes! Particularly because they're coming in the middle of this wild, very dead sci-fi insanity. I am finding myself loving this book more and more with every issue. Yeah, 100% agree. I thought this issue was great. And all the things we've talked about with Hickman, both in this book and with his X-Men work, where it's like, what's he doing? What's all this information? Like, it was all worth it to get to this, where it's like super fun the whole time. The story's coming into into focus. We're seeing the mission. And the characters are set up in a way where it's going to be exciting to watch them bump into each other. Yeah, I agree. This was a really solid issue. Uh, yeah, Pete. I, I felt like this clicked into place for me. Um, the art is phenomenal. A lot of different styles mixing here, but done in such a great way. It doesn't feel like a separate story. It's really, really impressive how well the art kind of makes this all work. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for more. I'm a little worried about Hickman fucking me because there's all these weird symbols everywhere that don't need to be, but... Uh, so far, uh, the art is really winning me over. So this is great. Pete, the original Hickmaniac coming around for decorum. <laughs> I, I got to say, though, the symbols in all of the extra pages, I think they do serve a purpose. They let you digest what you've seen before and see that, like, it's all like uh, sort of a picture frame that holds the story. They're chapter I, breaks is essentially what I thought are. you yeah. were going to say a palate cleanser, Justin. Um, maybe I don't know. Did you? You're supposed to have a little bit of sorbet when you see the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Just a light sorbet. Uh, every time I get to one of those uh, picture pages, I eat an entire pint of Chunky Monkey. Nice, <laughs> nice. Chunky Monkey picture chunky page. I'm more of a, a, a what is it? Chunky Hubby or what was that? Hubby. Chubby Hubby. Chubby Hubby. Chubby Hubby. That's the one. I like. Chubby yeah. Hubby is very yeah. good. Pretzels in that. Always love pretzels in an ice cream. Uh, I don't like all the rhyming. 
here's a couple of tastes that go great together. The New Mutants, number 14 from Marvel, written by Vita Ayala, art by Rod Rice. Uh, this kicks off Vita Ayala's run on the title, bringing a bunch of the original New Mutants together, minus Cypher, which is a huge missed opportunity, of course. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, but, man, I, I love this issue. I thought this was so smart, so well done as a lot of the recent X-Men stuff has been in terms of focusing in, here you have the older New Mutants teaching the younger New Mutants how to use their powers. <laughs> they come up with a creative thing that I don't think we've ever seen in the X-Men before, where the New Mutants characters combine their powers to figure out new ways of using them, which was paced out so well and so yes. fun. There's a thing where I think it's two pages earlier, uh, Rain and Magic combine their powers where they're like one teleporting wolf in and then two pages later it's five teleporting wolves out, which is very funny. Like there was just, it was perfectly paced out. The other thing that I loved about this book, and this is obviously very much on purpose, but we're bringing the Amal Farouk, the Shadow King here, yeah. uh, yes. who also seems to be in some way on Krakoa, which is very suspicious. But clearly Rod Rice is channeling Bill Senkiewicz, who is the definitive Shadow King artist here, also the definitive New Mutants artist. Uh, but it very much feels like its own thing. Um, I love this from top to bottom. Pete, I know you're probably going to have uh, some anti-X-Men bias going on here yes. with this book. But I thought this was really good. Because you one hate of my books of the week. I thought this was so well done, and I was so happy with how it was executed. You call them flat scans, right, Pete? Because uh, you're a mutant hater. Uh, no. Pete, by the way, since you guys can't see on Skype, is wearing one of those smiley uh, robot suits that the right has. Uh, I don't <laughs> even know what you're talking about. All right, so the art in this is phenomenal. It's like some parts are almost like watercolor. It's so beautiful. Uh, magic is just glorious in this. Some really fun paneling. Um, I... There's some stuff go that's going on that I don't understand, um, but uh, I do like the idea of bringing the Shadow King into this. I mean, if you got Fuck Island, you might as well have the Shadow King. Uh, but that's your excuse for everything. And also, uh, it makes me want to rewatch Legion. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely some channeling of Legion here, which is great. And I agree with you, Alex. The um, combining the uh, the New Mutants' powers in that way—it's very um, like Final Fantasy, mm -hmm. uh, the video game in a cool way. Uh, and I really appreciated that. Great book. Yeah. Just super fun across the board. Next up, uh, here's a wild one. Post-Americana, number one from Image Comics, story and art by Steve Stroke. Uh, this is a future society where everything has fallen apart in America. Uh, we start off with some sort of militaristic remnants of America who seem ready to take the country back. Uh, but of course, or maybe they're actually fascistic. We don't really know. One person escapes, encounters some insane people that are in the badlands, including cannibals and other people, find a badass woman who's ready to take them back. It is wild. It is bloody. It's over the top. It's often funny, like when chickens just rip apart a dude. Wow, that was um, funny. Don't fuck with chickens. It reminds me the art in particular reminds me a lot of Jose Van uh, Jose Van Rip. I think is his name. The guy who does a lot of stuff for uh, Valiant, and he did Cross yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, it reminds yeah, I was me. Of say, Crossed, this feels yeah. very Cross yeah. to me. Yeah, uh, both in uh, but substance I, and style. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the tone of the characters and the dialogue a lot. Just they felt very different to me and fresh and ridiculous in exactly the right way. Uh, how'd you guys feel about it? Yeah, I was really impressed with this. This was a lot of fun. It was really over the top. 
lot of action, a lot of violence. You got to love that. Uh, this was a very cool, interesting take. Yeah, it's hard to know who to root to kind of root for here with what's going on. I mean, America <laughs> kind of looked like the evil empire, uh, uh, but uh, we'll see uh, how this all unfolds. But man, what a great first issue to get you pumped up uh, for what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's exciting and fucked up. You you don't know who to root for, Pete. So you're like maybe rooting for the cannibals. Yeah, you know you don't know who to root for here, man. Because let me say the cannibals um, who we meet at the end of the book. Maybe we're rooting uh, for the lot, chickens. Lot of lot of human skin fashion. Yeah, uh, oh, a lot of them are wearing hair suits. I would call them yeah. like our facial. Like faces or sewn into in front uh, of like your a drunk. Bu- There's a legit the the leader's wearing a button down made of human faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's wild. So um, maybe they're good. Yeah. So you maybe never know. The good because guys. you got to use a strong sense. You got to use everything. You got to use every part of what mm-hmm. you're using. The whole, yeah. Well, let me ask you. Don't you? It's think like I you, said to Janine uh, back in the day at the comedy club. You got to use every part of the Garofalo. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, the, sorry, I'm still <laughs> stunned by that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think, like, if you're a cannibal mm-hmm, and you're, like, mm-hmm. uh, butchering the Sure, the sure, meat, sure, sure. Like, do you cut, uh, do you cut the skin off? Like, I feel like, like, if I'm making, uh, if I'm eating turkey. Yeah. Or if I'm eating some other, animal, like, I'll sometimes eat the skin. Yeah, definitely. So why are these people leaving all the skin behind? It's probably too thick, right? Like, human, human skin's too thick. Not Pete's Only skin. Only one way to tell, Zalbs. <laughs> Pete's very thin skin. <laughs> Great point. I'll tell you what. After uh, my children shoot me to death, I'll tell them to cook me and eat me and let me know how it goes. Oh, yeah. Mm, might or be some let, flaws in that Yeah, plan. let us know how it goes. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let us know. And we'll, I'll have we them come on the podcast. Yeah. Let me work. We'll work out the menu. Yeah, you got to start with some sorbet, I think, between every dish. Uh, good book. Definitely pick it up. Uh, Batman number 105 from DC Comics, written by James Tyner the Fourth, art by Carlo Pagolian and Danny Miki, Alvaro Martinez, and Christian Deuce. Uh, so this is the final part of the Ghostmaker story, but it doesn't end, I think, quite how anybody necessarily expected. It also seems to maybe be the end of James Tynan's run on Batman, which is what? surprising in and of itself. Well, I don't know. I mean, he seems to be tying stuff up before future state. Well, maybe he's just yeah. you know cleaning, you know, getting a fresh start for his new 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 story arc. I think this was uh, really great. Uh, you know, it's nice to see Harley Quinn open up, get a little emotional here with the kid clown hunter. Uh, I really like the kind of like flashback with the Ghostmaker and Batman stuff. Nice to get all that. And then we kind of had a nice moment. I don't, I don't know how much we want to spoil here, but some, you know, I, I reading it, I was like, oh, um, I, I would, I thought it was, you don't get to see us as much. It was nice to see a little Batman being a little soft. Um, yeah, I was sort of surprised about that choice at the end. I expected Ghostmaker to, um, to be a either a villain that is uh, someone who bothers Batman in Gotham or someone who leaves and maybe works in, a, in the shadows to, to cause a problem for Batman. The way it ended, um, I was surprised by, and I don't know if I love it. Oh, come um, on, man. But the, everything else in the book I thought was great. And um, I've really liked the art in this book and the way yes. they're able to sort of seamlessly transition between artists. 
I, I liked it more for Batman than Ghostmaker, if that makes sense. Like, I like yeah. the idea that Batman is trying to be yeah. more compassionate yes. and help you out. But Ghostmaker at the end saying, you know, I've tried to kill you most of my life, but you know what? Let's be friends. It seemed a little Let's quick. be co-workers. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. But uh, I agree with you. I think it was a little quick there. I mean, though I enjoyed the issue. Batman can be friends yes. with, like, Damien and a bunch of other people who are at different stages of maybe being evolved. Well, he, he's or, his father, so. Yeah, but still, like, he's kind of a psychopath. And so, like, I feel like this works. Like, Batman's opening up, you know, to this person and might as well try to work with them to hopefully uh, get Ghostmaker to a better place. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's move on and talk about Stillwater, number four, from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez. Uh, this is taking place in a town where nobody ever dies. Um, one guy comes into the town, finds out about it from the outside, but turns out he was actually born there. This issue, we flash back and find out yeah. about his history, how he was taken outside of the town and exactly what happened. Um, I like this issue quite a bit, and particularly coming in issue four, I think this is a smart place to put this, uh, because waiting much longer to parse out these mysteries might have been kind of frustrating, um, but I liked the answers that we got, personally. I agree. And I love the uh, Ramon Perez's art is so good. I've really been, I've been a fan of his for a long time and really like it here. This this book has such a good tone. It feels like it's ready-made to be a TV show, uh, and the characters are really well-made. Yeah, this is very interesting. We kind of have this... Uh we're finally getting pieces that kind of make sense clicking into place here about our main character and why he's like coming back to this place and what it means and what he's a part of. And, you know, it's too bad they didn't kind of like push this, I think, uh, earlier a little bit because they could have had like a baby boss tie in real easy. Uh, you know, you had a very boss, baby? Yeah, boss, baby. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, that smart, smart baby in the beginning that could have re- really, you know, really tied that in nicely. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to talk about, uh, we only find them when they're dead. Number four from Boob Studios written by Al Ewing, illustrated by Simone Demen. uh, Demen, is that right? Or did that autocorrect? Demenko, Simone, I think. Simone Demen. Simone um, Demeo. It's uh, Simone Demeo. Demeo, yeah. Demeo. D I M E O. Thank you very much. My autocorrect is out of control. That's uh, crazy so, that it changed that letter from O to N. It's yeah, crazy. Nuts. It's disgusting, is what it is. So, right next to each other in the alphabet. Uh, this, this book is fascinating to read because I think. The art and the coloring yes. in particular almost overpower the story of everything yeah. that's going on. So it's beautiful to look at, yep. but sometimes, honestly, a little hard to follow at this point. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It's it's a book that I wish I had in uh, – I had the hard copy. Yeah, exactly. Because I really mm-hmm. think that would make it a little cleaner. It's a book that I want to just be further away from when I'm reading it because it is such a wash of color. Um, I appreciate the choices. I think it is really cool and different. And I don't know enough about what's happening to know where we're headed. Um, but I still trust the storytelling here. It's Al Ewing, who I think is great. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't mean to, you know, kind of echo the old man of what we're saying. Like, oh, it's our, it makes it hard to read. But I think it's... Did you guys look at it with your spectacles yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. I had the, okay. you know, the... the 
where the bifocals going and it still didn't work. But yeah, it's really cool. The art, the paneling, uh, the really pushing stuff, making the story move, helping the action, which is great. But just sometimes because the layouts are so intense, uh, it's a little tough to kind of follow. So it takes a couple reads. But if we were holding the physical comic, I think it wouldn't be an issue. Next up, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, number two, from Marvel, written by Vidya Ayala, Saladin Ahmed, and Chris Claremont, art by Greg Land, Kev Walker, and Salvador Laraca. Uh, as with the first issue, there's three stories of Wolverine, three different adventures. Um, I, I got to tell you, I thought the first issue was pretty good. It was well done. I didn't love absolutely everything in it. This issue was great. Yeah. Just really mm. well done. And in particular, one of the things that I was so impressed by was... Greg Land takes a lot of knocks for his art, and potentially rightly so, but stripping all the color out of it and all the metallic wash and shine that usually goes over his characters, and just in that story, focusing on the black and the white and the occasional splashes of red, really emphasized how good and dynamic his art is. Uh, yeah. And Vidyayala leaned into that with the story, which I thought was great as well. I was really impressed overall with... Uh, nearly every story in this issue. Yeah, I agree. I think this really is like uh, this issue is really kind of clicking. This makes a lot more sense. This whole uh, black, white and blood. I, I was just blown away by the art, the action, the violence. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. A lot of fun. A lot of great Wolverine kind of stuff. That if you're a Wolverine fan, you know about this character. So it kind of bounces all over, which is great. I, I was really impressed. I Two or three really solid stories in this book. I thought the art was great across the board. Like, I love it. feels like they put them in these stories in a particular order where it's sort of the most black and white in the first story and it gets redder yeah. um, as the issue goes on. Yeah. Uh I uh, it's funny on the live show, Alex, you talked about the cliche of Wolverine being in a bar mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then having an adventure. And it felt like especially the first two stories were very like Wolverine's in the woods and then somebody gets him like it felt like it was dealing with that. Uh, those tropes living in those tropes um, mm-hmm. a bit. But uh, the Chris Claremont story, I thought, was was my favorite of the three, which I was uh, surprised about. Um but uh, in general, I like the book. Well, I mean, to that point, I think the things that worked about both of these to me, the same thing that didn't quite work about the first two stories in the first issue of this, were that they stood back and let the art do their thing. That they were yeah. like, yeah, we're going to do classic Wolverine setups, but it's all about setting up Greg Land. It's all about setting up Kev Walker to do the thing that they do, which I thought was really nice. Um, next up, Headlopper number 14 from Image Woo-hoo! Comics, story and art by Andrew McLean, continuing the Pete block we have here on yeah. the stack. Pete uh, block. In this issue, um, some heads get lopped. I think a head, <laughs> a head, yeah. maybe a gets head lopped. finally gets Huge lopped. Huge head. Uh, yeah, we get uh, Medusa. Old Headlopper goes up against Medusa. This is just glorious. I mean, plus it starts with a uh, double sp- page spread of a map, which I'm a sucker for. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, this is just a 
fantastic story of kind of like a Conan the Barbarian type of thing, wandering the earth, having adventures, hanging out with the witch's head, as you do. And uh, yeah, this is kind of a fun... Headlopper has a little bit of a team working with him now, so this is just continues to be a badass, fantastic book that doesn't try too much and just stays in its fucking wheelhouse. <laughs> That's the dream. Stay in your fucking lane, <laughs> artists. Uh, but I do, I, this is a fun book. This is a very, this is like a modern Yusagi Ojimba. Yeah. Did I did we say that last time? Because I see why Pete likes it. It's very good. I like it as well. I thought the witch head was going to get turned to stone. Oh, I really did. yeah. I was worried. Mm, uh, that would but have been I also, crazy. Yeah. I also like that this is clearly a, a huge universe, a long adventure that we want to be able to go on for a long time, and I hope we get to. Next up, Dark Knight's Death Metal number six from yes. DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. We are getting towards the end here as the united forces of every single hero and villain in the DC universe fight back against the Batman who laughs and his united forces of dark Batmans and dark planets and things like that. Um, meanwhile, Wonder Woman is off on her own mission to try to save the universe at the... Uh, Universal Forge, I believe it's called. Um, I continue to be struck by, not so secretly, but how this is almost secretly like a Wonder Woman series. Yeah. uh, Yes. Which I think is kind of great. It gets away from Superman and Batman always being the leads and turns the focus on her. And the the solution she figures out towards the end here, I thought was really fun and really simple and really great. Um, and uh, just overall, again, uh, just a fun issue of this wildly over-the-top series. This continues to be a lot of fun. I really, really love this issue. Uh, things are starting to finally maybe go in the good guy's direction, which is very exciting. Epic pages, some old-school shout-outs, and some touching moments with Clark and Lois and then Clark and Bruce. I, I fucking love this shit. I'm just waiting for um, the uh, Space Wolverine to pop his claws. It's about time he popped him and got into the action. You know what You're I mean? You're a piece of shit. If there's a low bow, why isn't there a high bow? Mm, no. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, or a tie bow. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> I think um, it's fi- very funny to me that in this book, the Batman Who Laughs has been elevated to such a, to a god. And it's funny to think that it's just a Bruce Wayne. Yeah, like that's just a regular Bruce Wayne under there who's just had a couple <laughs> bad days. The uh, weirder part to me, there were two weird things in this issue. Not necessarily bad things, but seeing Barbados's face finally, where I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a weird looking dude mm-hmm. in there under that giant cloak." That's pretty strange. Uh, and then the other one was Superman and Lois saying goodbye to them, each other. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> else was great. I loved everybody else, and even what is your very, problem like, with that? Them say goodbye. What did Superman say? Superman was like, Lois was like, Superman, you're always the son that I look towards. Yeah. And Superman was like, you're the lead of my story. Yeah, you're the, you're always my number one lead, I think she says. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was the point where I was like, shut up. Why? Why are wow. you cold-hearted it's motherfucker? Stupid. That's a stupid thing to say when you're about to die. Here's, a, here's what here's a, I have it here. Lois, thank you for this life, for our son, for being my true home planet. Yeah, that's Very fucking sweet. beautiful. Very sweet from a long-haired, uh, mostly dead Superman. Yeah. And then and she Lex says, thank Luther you, Clark. complimenting his hair was hysterical. 
thank you, Clark, for being the best lead a girl could ask for. And then someone off panel, get a room. All right. First off, <laughs> Salvin, fuck you, man. That That's a thing. I thought that was a great thing for Lois to say. I don't know. That was kind of like, and I worked in a newspaper. Fuck you. Um, I, she doesn't love him. She just is with him to keep the news flowing. Yeah, exactly. Also, what is she doing there? What is she? Where has she been the entire time? <laughs> the fact Chasing that she suddenly shows leads. up to be like, and I'm also here. She's covering the end of the universe for <laughs> you know the Daily Planet. <laughs> she doesn't have to prove shit to you. She can come and go as she yeah. pleases. Uh, she's she's just like hastily writing out a newspaper on some dead robin skin or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this just in. Holy shit. <laughs> Everyone's dead. <laughs> If you're reading this, congratulations. Bear with me, bear with me, readers, because this is confusing. So there's a dark forge of. (laughs) Ooh, there's going to be a lot of bylines on this one. Uh, But fun book. Uh, Let's move on to talk about Seven to Eternity, number 15 from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, drawn by uh, Jerome Pena. This issue, this is a huge issue for this book. Uh, our protagonist has slowly been working way towards a place that potentially could make him immortal. We think it has been due for uh, reasons of helping his family. In this issue, it becomes clear it 100% absolutely is not. And he goes from, I would argue, being the hero of the book to turning out to be the villain the whole time, which I think is phenomenal in the best Rick Remender way of doing things. Uh, what do you guys think about this? And c- conversely, the villain from the book the mud king is sort of becoming the hero. And I, yeah, I would 100%. guess, I would guess that was Rick Remender's uh, perhaps goal uh, for the series. Um, and he's done a great job of really just slowly leading us um, away from our expectations from the very first uh, couple issues of the series. But really this issue is the art is so good. It's a real, like everything is, is just really well done from the beginning to the end. A lot of big splash pages. This is, so good. This is classic Remender. Just like you think you understand. You think like I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is great. Okay, we're finally going to have. And then it was just like at the end, I was like, wait, what? Goddamn Remender, man. He is oh, a very impressive writer. This is continues to be a ton of fun and the twists and turns are very enjoyable uh, this uh i'm very nervous about what's going to happen moving forward but man the art and the action are just glorious great stuff let's move on and talk about our immortal hulk block two issues of immortal hulk, hulk came block. out the hulk block the Immortal Hulk King in Black, number one, written by Al Ewing, art by Aaron Cooter. The Immortal Hulk 42, written by Al Ewing, art by Joe Bennett. So starting with the first one, uh, this obviously, again, is a tie-in to King in Black. Here, so many things going on at the same time. There is no reason this should work with the amount of things they have happening. But it's not only an Immortal Hulk book, which is a thing in and of itself. It's not only a tie-in to King and Black. It's not only a Christmas story. It's also a completely silent issue at the same time. Uh, And it is phenomenal. One of my favorites. This is like... When people ask you, like, oh, what's your favorite Christmas story? This now goes to the top of the list, Black Christmas. This is just so cool. And so much is said about Hulk without any words. This really is just like a classic Hulk story. 
Oh my god, this is so great. So much fun. So this is your favorite Christmas story now? Like more than the movie A Christmas Story? No. Uh it's it's my one of my favorite uh, Christmas comics. Punisher Christmas. Like if you have children, so you'll read this. You have have children, you'll read this aloud to yes. them on Christmas yes, Eve. Yes, I will. Yeah, which will be you'll not say, hey, a lot kids, of reading. Gather around. It's time for the horrifically widely smiling Hulk story. Yep. Uh, the way Aaron Cooter draws the – this is the – if you haven't been reading Immortal Hulk, uh, Hulk is kind of split into different personalities. It keeps morphing between different things. Here we mostly get the uh, skinny, childlike Hulk uh, who's yeah. been showing up. He also shows up in the next issue we're going to talk about. Uh, we also got Joe Fixit shows up for a little yeah, diehard-style action at one point, uh, which is super fun. Um, but, yeah, man, this is – just great. Just a great story. So well drawn by Aaron Cooter. So well the written by Al Ewing. So good. Uh, again, there's no reason this should work with the amount of things they have going on here, but it's a wonderful one shot. Yeah. It's really, truly great. One of the best issues on the stands right now. Yeah. Uh, let's move on then and talk about Immortal Hulk number 42, which is the ongoing story of the Immortal Hulk. Here we get a little break as the Hulk fights the thing, actually lays out everything that's been going on with him, which I think is the first time in 42 issues any of the superheroes have kind of found out what has actually been going on with the Hulk here, even though he understands only part of it. Uh, and Thing figures it out, too, like understands the difference between Joe Fixit and the other Hulk and everything that's going on. They eat some hot dogs at Coney Island. You're goddamn right. Look- you got to do it while you're there. Delicious. Uh, and it ends with, of course, a very typical terrifying battle right at the end there for what's coming up next. Uh, but again, a fantastic issue of this book. Uh, and I love seeing the thing Hulk rivalry rivalry in a new light. It's great. Yeah. You really get to see the tender side of the thing coming out uh, here, which I thought was really good. And their conversation at the hot dog shop was, was really nice. Uh, getting into shop. like, yeah, uh, a sandwich shop, hot dog, I guess, being a sandwich in that case. Oh, man. Um, hit, the, the way they talk into, yeah, uh, the way they talk about um, the afterlife, um, the thing coming back and um, being bar mitzvahed and like rediscovering some sort of spirituality or having like a second spirituality 13 years after they got bombarded with the cosmic rays, I thought was an interesting take. I'll talk about Job, like just a really smart issue, uh, touching on a bunch of ideas and really sad watching the Hulk fight and cry. Uh, I mean, I'll tell, I'll I'll just mention just on the whole thing story where he's talking about how uh, the 13 years there, that was him being reborn. I know that's something that Dan Slott covered in his run on the thing, but from a Jewish perspective, like I got a little choked up. That's something that they don't, really talk about a lot in the books is that aspect of the thing. And I think Al Ewing wrote it in a really sweet way and pasted it out in a really sweet way. That was very nice to see. It meant a lot. Now, we talked about this on the live show, but the uh, the podcast just turned 14. Should we have had a bar mitzvah for you since you uh, since we've been doing this for 13 years? Yeah, no problem. I'll shoot you guys a Torah portion and we could read that on the next live show. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, Plus, we get to go play like video games and stuff or something, right? Uh, sure. That's how that works. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't there some fun thing? Yeah, you get to have a party afterwards. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this continues to be amazing. 
Really great use of the thing in this. Um, love the thing's new kicks. Uh, glorious. Uh, also, a really fantastic cover. Really love the cover. Uh, yeah, just when you think the story, it gets so weird and so grotesque, but also the heart. The heart in this story is really phenomenal. It's very touching. The humanization of these kind of grotesque characters, if you will, is fantastic. Uh, I cannot believe what they're doing in this Hulk comic. It's really unprecedented. Last but not least, let's talk about Once in Future, number 14 from Boom Studios, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Dan Mora. Uh, In this issue, we're wrapping up a couple of things as I believe they fight Gwen. Uh, or they are green. I, I don't know. I honestly missed the last issue, so I'm not 100% keeping up. Uh, but there's <laughs> some bloody stuff and some fun continuity stuff that happens, and this uh, title continues to be a ton of fun. Yeah, I mean, this whole like game thing that it starts with, and I, I mean, the art, to say the art is spectacular is an understatement. It's just so breathtaking. It makes things... You're 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 feeling the stuff that is happening. It's just so intense and amazing. And then you just have this badass grandmother right in the middle of it. Every issue is just glorious, and it continues to be. I don't know why they don't turn this into a goddamn movie or TV show. It's just so good. I want to see it uh, in all the different iterations if it could. Uh, I just so many great characters, so much fun. This is really just glorious. Uh, there's a lot of stories about stories, particularly in comics, and I think this one does a great job of making it more complex, and it's a little bit trickier. It really feels like a heightened version of so many uh, things that are touched on where it's like, no, the story is the thing. We're inside a story. Mm-hmm. And in this, um, our main characters are inside, like, multiple stories at once, yep. and they're competing, they're juggling them, but it's also, like, they're having a great time. The art is so, like, high-octane action movie. Uh, it's really fun. Yeah, great stuff. All right, that's it for this week's episode of The Stack. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. Chat with us about comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, this has been The Stack. This will always be the stack. You're inside the stack. We're all part of the stack. Oh, my kids are coming in. I want to. Uh, let me see what they want. <laughs> Is that that Bang! creeping note? That blows At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.